0: Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a totally true episode, all about two Halloween nights when the airwaves were full of frighteningly fake news. From a mock alien attack to simulated specters, we'll take a look at the inspirations, intentions, executions, and aftermath of those horrible, horrible hoaxes. So tune in as we unearth the war of the world's phenomenon from H.G. Wells' destructive narrative to Orson Welles's nation-fooling broadcast to the TV movie The Night That Panicked America that showed us what happens when you believe everything you hear. Then we go across the pond for the BBC's 1992 Halloween mockumentary, Ghost Watch. That for many was more of a trick than a treat. Now, be on the lookout for invaders from Mars. Investigate if you hear a strange sound and enjoy. Episode 62 of Boys and Ghouls. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell. A transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads.
1: Psychos, fanatics, oh. murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires?
0: I know that one of you is a werewolf.
1: Ain't nothing. Good, dead, cool. I want to kill the undead you, you ever talk to a, a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring.
0: Throw oh, the third switch. Not the third Mmm. <laughs> 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 you just said (laughs) because i'm a beast okay hold on a second okay hello hello
1: hello hello
0: what a wonderful word (laughs) hello (laughs) cat marshall i know it's it's months old now you were going to talk about it In one of our previous spooky gabs, but I redirected you to like another topic. Mm -hmm. So you're overdue to talk about Daniel's project.
1: (gasps) I get to talk about the willows. The
0: willows.
1: Yeah, well, so constant listeners of Boys and Ghouls will remember us talking about Creep Los Angeles, which is an immersive haunted house that emerged on the Los Angeles haunt scene two Halloweens ago. So not 2016, but 2015. And the producers of Creep LA are now offering this indefinitely running show called The Willows. And Daniel Montgomery, who I've talked about a ton on here, he's one of the artistic directors, and he also co-hosts the Welcome to Deadcast, Goosebumps podcast.
0: Friend and listener.
1: Friend and listener, Daniel Montgomery, who actually, yes, we interviewed him for Behind the Screams. I interviewed him for this. He was your
0: first Behind the Screams, he, was. Was he not?
1: So... A while back, I went to a final dress of sorts, and I've since been back once to the Willows. And it is a really, oh gosh, it's so hard because I don't want to give too much away, but, but essentially... Okay, well, just
0: broad strokes. Broad strokes. You make an appointment, right? They don't just take walk-ins, do they?
1: No, they don't. So it is, um, you're invited to a party at the Willows' home.
0: Okay, is it kind of like Southern Gothic?
1: I wouldn't call it Southern Gothic. To me, it feels, especially because you're in LA, it feels kind of
0: like a dinner party, yeah. and all the who's who's are here.
1: It does feel like old Hollywood of sorts, except that no one's meant to be an actor or anything, and it's not meant to be. It's meant to be contemporary, I suppose. Though, but the house that they are old
0: things doing, are creepier.
1: Old things are creepier, and the house they're doing this this show in was built in 1918, and it's full of all kinds of crazy knickknacks. It's lived in when they're not performing in it, so it feels lived in. There, are, The people who like, live there rent it out to them to do this show.
0: Okay, is it uh, like once a month or no, two weekends doing a it, month?
1: Yeah, I think about two weekends a month as long as it works. So when you buy a ticket for the Willows, you're signing on to be a part of a celebration with the Willows family. And there are 18 seats at the table for guests, so it's very intimate in the sense that it's not a giant, you know... It feels personal. Okay. Uh, So you get to know the family. It's immersive in the sense that you are experiencing what's happening with the Willows family. So you're watching them interact with each other. They're interacting with you. You can ask them questions. I mean, there aren't really any rules other than go where you're led and don't go where people tell you not to walk. But other than that, you just kind of go on the journey of the evening, which involves mingling, maybe... Game playing, dinner... So, um, scary
0: interactive theater in several rooms of a house.
1: I would say creepy. Although there were some moments... There were there are some scary moments. I shouldn't say not scary. There definitely were some scary moments. But for okay. the most part... Do, do you have
0: to sign a waiver beforehand? Oh, yes. So potentially you could get touched.
1: Oh, 100%. But it's not a spook house where you're walking through in the dark and things are jumping out at you. Not at all. Okay. It's, as I've said before about Creep LA, it's more... It's cinematic in the sense that you're in the. If you've ever wanted to be in the middle of a scene, yeah. So when you're with the Willows, there's a storyline, but there still are a lot of blanks that you have to either fill in in your own head. Or the beautiful part about it is, each person who goes to the experience kind of gets a different path and so you end up debriefing with people and you go like well this person told me this oh they told you that well that makes this thing that happened to me make more sense and it makes you want to go back and do it again and um all i want to do is be there it's really great so if you're in
0: you got a you got a website for us
1: yeah well i believe it's just creepla.com
0: through which you can find out all about the willows
1: yes it is one of my favorite things and unlike anything i've ever experienced before so
0: Okay. Speaking of going places. Yes. You and I went a couple of places from a birthday.
1: More than a couple of places.
0: Yeah, but the ones that might be considered spooky is we went to the house from a nightmare on Elm Street, which I'd never been to before, you had. Mm-hmm. There's hedges now, mm-hmm. there wasn't hedges in the movie. But you know that the people who live there are okay with being associated with it because the door is still red.
1: The door is red. They
0: don't need to have a red door. They could have any color door, but they chose to keep the red door. So
1: I appreciate them for that.
0: They're cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure if
1: you walked up onto their front porch with finger knives and a red and green sweater, then you'd have a problem. But I think they're probably fine with quick pictures.
0: The quickest of pictures. Mm-hmm. We like got out of the car and it was like, snap, back in the car. Also because there's parking restrictions. Mm-hmm. And then we visited a graveyard, which we had before. But this one was different from any I'd ever been to because it was an actual pet cemetery.
1: And I couldn't stop crying.
0: <laughs> Cat couldn't stop crying.
1: <laughs> I cried the whole time. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> Actually, I was kind of glad in one way because I had to get us out of there because we had an appointment at a trampoline park. Yeah. And I was like TikTok, and
1: <laughs> it was you
0: were you were open to the suggestion of leaving.
1: Yeah, well, I was still I was so happy to see it. I was so excited when you told me that's where we were going because I was like, "There's a pet cemetery, like holy." Were, were cow. you
0: picturing like a little backyard thing? Like I in was the,
1: picturing something small. I don't know why it was, because because of the movie Pet so, Cemetery, right? But this is L.A., so I should have anticipated it would be big. And I think I articulated it to you later that they part of the reason that I got so upset was, of course, seeing all the wonderful tributes to people's animals. and Not just dogs and heart. cats.
0: There's, like, monkeys and like horse. Horses. and there's, yeah. some somewhere there's a lion. So... The MGM lion. The
1: MGM lion. But what really got me was how well-kept the place was. The oh, yeah. fact that it was like a people cemetery in the sense that it was... Really well tended, curbs on the roads, like a guy in a golf cart driving around cleaning up old flowers yeah. and all the care that was taken and that little like office where you can discuss cremation and all of the things. I think that the honor that was the the gravity uh, and the seriousness with which this place has been maintained, whoa, man, that just got me. Yeah. And this place, place has so been precious.
0: open since like the thirties. Yeah. They've been Something running for like a while. That. Yeah. And if you're uh, traipsing around the L.A. area, take a trip over to Calabasas.
1: And you can see, Marshall taught me about, so yes, the MGM lion, but also Room 9, which is a cat I didn't, isn't that the name of the cat? Possibly 8. Room 8? It's Room 8.
0: Yeah, Room 8.
1: Room 8, the cat. The
0: cat who would always show up at the school's Room 8 every year until it became like a mascot and a beloved figure, and there were like segments on TV shows about it, and then it, it got like... That's another thing about the cemetery. A lot of the markers are sort of just that. They're kind of smallish markers. But some pets are given big, people-sized headstones.
1: With benches and, like, some of them statues. Statue
0: of a dog. It was Um, really special. Yeah, so Room 8 was one of those that got, like, an actual, like, headstone.
1: And with a poem on it and...
0: And you look around and it looks like a regular people graveyard. Mm -hmm. But then you look a little closer and you're like, this is for a bird.
1: Yeah. Well, this spooky gab makes me marvel at the fact that there are months that come up where I'm like, well, I don't think I'm doing anything spooky.
0: And here you We're are. We're just
1: overflowing with it this month.
0: We are two spooky people.
1: Well, I'm a man from Mars. I'm
0: as cute as can be. I can kiss the girl so tenderly because I'm a little bitty lover but- Tonight. yeah Cat
1: Marshall
0: This episode was your idea
1: It was?
0: Yes The episode is about hoaxes Two in particular fall into the horror hoaxes kind of thing One being the radio broadcast, the War of the Worlds broadcast But what really got your, your motor going about this was Ghostwatch which was the BBC show from nineteen ninety two, which I guess you saw like a few months ago.
1: I had heard from one of the horror honeys, one of the girls who I write with, who's from the UK who remembers Ghost. Seeing watch, it as, as, it as like a yeah. kid. And she had told us about this and then then it hit shutter. And I was like, Oh my god, I get to watch this and I watched it and I was like, Marshall, we have to do an episode about this
0: Okay, but you didn't want to do a whole episode on just that. So Quick to your brain for what else is a hoax? Is War of the Worlds.
1: Yeah, we're using that word, but I think producers of both programs have said we didn't mean for anyone to take this seriously. Now, whether that's true or not is
0: is an issue of debate. Totally
1: debatable, sure. Yeah. So when we say hoax, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're like we're going to fool everyone. Um, yeah. Well, but well, but it when I label on the episode,
0: I'm not going to be like hoax. Right. Put right. a question mark on it. No. Okay, so just hoax. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay, so in chronological order, let's go back to the 1800s when the book War of the Worlds came out.
1: Let's. So. 1898.
0: It was H.G. Wells, no relation to Orson Welles, who later did the broadcast, and spells his name with an extra E.
1: I heard a meeting of the minds of, like, the two Wells were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. They were doing some interview... I think it's very nice of Mr. Wells to say that uh, not only I didn't mean it, but the American people didn't mean it. That was our impression in England. We had articles about it, and people said, have you never heard of Halloween in America when everybody pretends to see ghosts? (laughs) Anyway, H.G. Wells made some joke, like, maybe at some point you'll drop the E. Yes. Which is funny. Yes, he did. Speaking of the novel...
0: By H.G., because I think we should get on a first-name basis with both these guys, uh-huh. so we're not just <clears throat> throwing the word Wells around. Yeah. So okay.
1: H.G. had written The War of the Worlds, and it was serialized in 1897, so the year before it ended up getting published in hardcover. Mm-hmm. So it was serialized in the U.K. by Pearson's Magazine.
0: So we're starting this story. Left a cliffhanger. In England.
1: But also, this piece of trivia blew my mind, which is... In the United States, it was also serialized in Cosmopolitan Magazine, which was then known as The Cosmopolitan. It started out in 1886 as a family magazine. Then it became a literary magazine.
0: When did it start telling people how to have better orgasms?
1: 1965.
0: Okay. when it
1: became a women's magazine, and now it's hot garbage. But I can't believe, the first time Americans were reading The War of the Worlds, it was in Cosmo? Sure. Then in 1898, it was published in hardcover form as a novel.
0: It's a, about an unnamed narrator who's got sort of ringside seats to a Martian invasion, uh, being that he lives kind of close to like the first cylinder, not saucer. But
1: no, it's referred to as a cylinder. A yeah.
0: cylinder that lands, and it doesn't fly either. Once it gets moving, it has three legs, tripod legs.
1: These are flightless it birds, as it were. just walks
0: around mm-hmm. with its heat ray, not referred to as a laser.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's always heat ray. So it's blasting heat rays.
1: These are visitors from Mars. I claim this planet
0: in the name of Mars. I mean, This guy, I believe, he worked for an observatory. It's it's blending now he's in a, my brain. So
1: in the book, he's a philosopher.
0: Does he have a friend? <clears throat> by the way,
1: I, uh, oh, I, already, I read I already the conf- book.
0: I already confused I it with the radio say. show.
1: Yeah. So I'll be the authority on the book because I've just finished reading the book today.
0: I just finished listening to an abridged version read by Leonard Nimoy.
1: Hmm.
0: No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by intelligences greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own. That as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. So the bulk of the book is... Alien invaders running roughshod over England. Mm -hmm. And not just over some unnamed countryside. He adds the details of, like, specific towns.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And that's something that got borrowed pretty heavily in the radio broadcast Mm -hmm. many years later.
1: What I found really fun in reading about what H.G. Wells went through to make this book is he had moved to Woking or one of these towns that he's describing in the story with his wife. And as he was writing...
0: H.G. Wells is British.
1: He's British. And what I was reading is that he would get up every morning and he would either ride his bike or walk around town... And then in the afternoons, he would write. And he had this thought, like, he was envisioning invaders coming like, his nice imagination. Nice Think I'll burn it. Yes. And so while he was writing the novel, he took great pleasure in telling his friends, like, oh, I'm really destroying this part of town today or that city over there. And, like, it really was fun for him to get that specific about what he was destroying and really painting a picture. And it made me think of, like, the majesty and horror of watching, like, Independence Day for the first time when I was, like, 10 years old. And seeing
0: no LA landmarks
1: get destroyed. The White House, yes.
0: <laughs> Damage report! Damage report! Right. Well, actually, that was just footage from the movie Independence yeah. Day, but the real laser would be a lot like that.
1: As far as stories go, I think this one, because it involves like such a frightening topic, it's very much a product of its time and a reflection of topics that were in the air. And yeah. I think so was the radio show. So, like for example, the book being positioned where it was, that it came out at the end of the 1800s.
0: Before World War One. So at least the radio show had already experienced World War One. Yes. And there was rumblings of trouble in Europe
1: big rumblings
0: and hey watch out for that Adolf Hitler he's a bad egg
1: so British imperialism so at the time and for Uh, a long time leading up to that
0: at the time the sun never set on British colonies that's
1: right so if you think about the idea of British imperialism and how they were treating indigenous cultures around the globe and just sort of taking over and treating
0: that that's mentioned right away yeah animals are mentioned as far as like you know how the Martians treated us and also people in general tasmanians specifically were singled out as you know man just killing off other man yeah. and these are martians from a whole other world so what do they care
1: yeah and and the narrator makes it a point to relate what the martians are doing to us to like what we would do to an ant and like why yeah exactly why should
0: they care i think man is the most interesting insect on earth. The ending, actually in the book, the ending is he's roaming the wastelands of England, which is also pretty cool because Last Man on Earth stories, I don't think would take off until the Atomic Age.
1: And he even describes at moments feeling like I hadn't seen another human for X amount of days and I thought I was the last man alive.
0: So in addition to a Mars attack story, which made it ahead of its time, it's also a Last Man on Earth story, which I don't think we'd gotten much of until... The A bomb made us think that we'd become the last man on Earth, potentially. We can't all be the last man on Earth. That's just <laughs> Earth. So he's wandering around, and like in the 2005 War of the Worlds, these attack machines make noise. And I heard Leonard Nimoy do it as like a ooh la, ooh and Oola. I guess you find Oola. out you find out that's the sound of it like oola. like dying or something because the,
1: in the book it's spelled u l l a u l l a but in the book it's supposed to be really high pitched so oh. it's like a oola, oola, oola. like it sounds like a siren in,
0: in the 2005 it's just this horrifying just yeah.
1: Reading it, I was like, well, this sounds silly. But that was coupled with them just standing, just not moving, which is also creepy.
0: In the radio show, it's just he just finds like dogs eating like a piece of brown flesh. And then (sighs) like all the birds are eating the aliens. And he's like, they're all dead.
1: That happens in the book, too.
0: Because what kills them is microbes, little microbes. Bacteria. And you might say like, oh, that's just a giant like deus machina. Like no efforts of man they didn't learn a lesson and be like, we've got to do this. Right. It's just, they just rampaged till they could rampage no more. And the thing that stopped them was here all along. It's a cool ending, Mm -hmm. but if you're following the main character, it's really through no effort of his or anybody else's. It's just like they stopped. Now, some films have this technique. They take the most unbelievable coincidence portion of the film, whatever part in describing the movie, you'd have to go. And it just so happens You take that part and put it as early in the story as you can. So
1: people forget about it before the end?
0: So it doesn't just come out of the middle of nowhere. Oh, sure. So it's not like a deus machina that just comes out of nowhere and just fixes everything. it. Mm -hmm. It was always there. Yeah. And it just so happens. And it doesn't have to be what saves everything. It can just be the most unbelievable part. Sure. So in the very beginning, it says, like, they had studied us as one would study... The organisms that live in a drop of water. (laughs) So organisms living in a drop of water was well established even before the tripods came up. Yeah. I know it's quick, and I know it's just one line. I'm with you. When they did the 2005, it actually starts on those microorganisms. Like, the opening credits are to a backdrop of microorganisms as it pulls out to reveal a drop of water on, like, a leaf. Yeah. And at the time, because I've read a whole book about... Not dipteria. What is it when you have diarrhea to death?
1: Oh, um, dysentery.
0: Dysentery. I've read a whole book uh, about, about dysentery dysenta- in England, a thing called Ghost Map, where it sort of solved the debate. There was a huge debate in the 1800s, within like nine years before this got written, about is dysentery being caused by pollution in the air? And London's air was blech. Yeah. Or is it from envy? Creatures and water that otherwise looks really clean. Mm-hmm. And it took some real convincing to convince otherwise intelligent people that no, it's not it's this. It's not the
1: thing you can see that looks dirty as hell. It's
0: not this Drek air we're breathing. It's invisible it's this creatures. It's beautiful,
1: sparkling water that looks yeah. fine. By the way, in the book, he does remark how beautiful and different London looks after two weeks of, like, no factories spewing oh, out nice. disgusting smoke. See, it's a s- tiny moment, but...
0: So this thing that we're like, oh, yeah, bacteria, was pretty new. It was kind of like a hot item sure. at the time when this was originally written.
1: Also in the book, there's the red Martian weed, the plants that start growing everywhere, which was really interesting. It's like they brought seedlings with them somehow and it starts overtaking the riverbanks and like anywhere near where the Martian ships had landed, there's this Red weed start growing? This, yeah. And at one point, the narrator started chewing on it because he was so hungry and I was like, what the hell's wrong with you? But it starts dying.
0: Good, because that feels like they're just sort of terraforming Earth. Yeah, to sure. be like... The red planet.
1: Exactly. But I guess my point is, I think that's also an indicator of this is not their home. They're not going to be able to survive here. Because the red weed starts growing and then it just starts dying. And then also, the narrator in the book does say, as he's realizing why the Martians have all died, he's like, it should have been evident to us all along. We should have known this earlier, that they wouldn't have been able to survive our bacteria. I like that, that he's like... Of course, of <laughs> course, this is the case. But in our panic, we couldn't have even conceived of it because we were freaking out. The other thing I want to mention about the book that that kind of ties into that is, he mentions in the book and in the radio broadcast, it's a line as well mm-hmm. that they were in the end, the Martians were taken down by the smallest of whatever that God, that in His God, great wisdom or whatever. That's put also on, in put the radio show, earth. yeah.
0: But then you also watched the nineteen fifty three. Yeah, version. I did. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death
1: machines?
0: Guns, tanks, bombs—they're like toys against them. The line is sort of like the way it's done in in the radio show. It's like from the smallest thing that God and His wisdom put on this planet. Mm-hmm. But in the 53 movie, there's, like, church bells. The finale is, like, in a church. He goes to, like, three churches. Yes. Looking for the girl.
1: One of which is literally a mile from my apartment.
0: Yeah, because we've already done England. We've already done New York. This one's mostly in Los Angeles and the surrounding areas. And at the end, it's like, we were saved by the smallest thing that God yes. in his wisdom yes. put on this. And then under the soundtrack is just like a chorus going, Amen. Yes. Which. Boom. Y-
1: you want to know what H.G. Wells himself would think about that because it is such a part of the book so hg wells was a staunch secularist mm. now the narrator in the book does mention god a couple of times and he prays to mm-hmm. god yeah but there is a major character in the novel who he's referred to as a curate who is like a clergyman of sorts. So sometimes they are teachers in the church and sometimes they're just like helpers around the church. But at any rate, a holy man who the narrator comes upon who is beside himself. Just like, why would God do this to us? Is this the end times? What didn't I do? Right. I made all these mistakes and he's raving about religion and God. And I mean, the narrator has to shake him, slap him. He falls apart. He's cowardly. He's pathetic pathetic character. A lot of people read that as like a criticism on religion, right? And then even to the extent that in the novel, there is an extended period of time where the narrator and the curate, who they're traveling together in all of this, They're inside this house that's gotten like crashed into by one of the cylinders and they're hiding because there are Martians outside and if they move they're going to see them and so they're like hiding in there and eating the food in the pantry and just sitting still for hours and hours because they don't want to get killed Mm. and the curate starts going insane again and yelling loudly about the apocalypse and God and all this stuff and he has to hit him on the head to shut him up and it kills him.
0: That's like what uh, Tom Cruise has to do to Tim Robbins.
1: Oh, I don't remember. In the 2005. It's been too long. Does that happen there?
0: He doesn't go into religious fervor, but like just to sort of keep him quiet, there's an implied murder.
1: Yeah. But so that's kind of like the take on religion in this book, which, I mean, a coming Martian apocalypse, as it were, for mankind... It's bound to bring about people's feelings about God. But then you watch the movie, and the movie is very pro-religion, very pro-God. Yeah. Um, the pastor, um, the woman, the lead character in the 53 movie, her uncle, he, like, there's this heroic Probably. scene. A lot, a lot he, of good it did him. I know. But he's the hero, right? He's did you think one might be just Lord's making prayer. up for the other?
0: It's like, listen, you just zapped a clergyman.
1: Well, we should describe. I want to describe the scene because it's so it's interesting to me that he's with the military men. Yeah, and he's like, we should go tell them that we come in peace, and like we, the audience, have already seen some people try that and get zapped into right. nothing. But he takes off by himself, takes his Bible, and he's walking towards the sing Martians, the Lord's sing Prayer. Saying the Lord's Prayer, and then... Pew. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The book is really brutal. It's 1898, yes. but the stuff that happens in it is really messed up. One of which is the fact that the Martians take humans and use little pipettes to suck blood from their veins and put it into themselves. And also the aliens are just giant heads, like brains. They don't have like digestive tracts. It's really messed up. But there was one scene I wanted to mention that felt very modern to me because you see it in so many horror movies. Mm -hmm. The narrator in the 1898 novel is hiding in this house that I mentioned that he and the curate are hiding in. And this alien is onto them, onto him. He's alone at this point. I think he's killed the guy and he's like hiding in basically this like pantry he's in the scullery it's dark he's crunched up against the wall this thing's like feeler is coming in the room at him and he says that was in
0: the 53 and the 2005 it's so creepy
1: it's so creepy it seems like such a trope right when you're like hiding from something and they're right there and they're almost to you it's a
0: century year old trope it
1: is he says, in the darkness, I could just see the thing like an elephant's trunk more than anything else, waving towards me and touching and examining the wall, coals, wood, and ceiling. It was like a black worm swaying its blind head to and fro. Once even, it touched the heel of my boot. I was on the verge of screaming. I bit my hand. So like, scary. he's just hiding from it. I was reading it, like, oh God. But I, I was sitting there just thinking, like, maybe this is the first time a scene like that ever appeared in print. Maybe not, but there's a good chance.
0: Sure. Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Fast forward. Fast forward to
1: 1938.
0: When Orson Welles was... well, I'm not going to get his exact age because...
1: He was young.
0: He was 23.
1: Good Jehovah.
0: Okay, I bring this up because we both watched The Night That Panicked America.
1: I, Marshall, yeah. loved this movie.
0: It's a made-for-TV movie. Thank you for
1: recommending it. Sure. The quality on YouTube, not great. Mm. The movie, really good.
0: The radio said it was the end of the world, and the world believed it. This is- New jerseys under martial law. Orson Welles conceived it as a radio play. But it turned Halloween into a nightmare for millions. How could they think this was real? It was the night that panicked America.
1: 1975
0: TV movie. 1975 TV movie. See, a nice uh, young John Ritter.
1: So young and cute.
0: Meanwhile, though, the guy who plays Orson Welles has no lines outside of his performance in War of the Worlds. You see a lot of the backstage goings on, some of the legends of the production. We see those get played out. Mm-hmm. And the guy who played Wells sounds like Wells, but he was 39 years old. <laughs> so I went on a little research. Uh, the movie Cradle of Rock was around this time, too. It, it was about Wells when he was still doing theater in New York. Mm-hmm. That actor was 35 years old. Wow. RKA-281, that was a Aliev Schreiber, played him as he was trying to get Citizen Kane made. 31 years old. Wow. Me and Orson Welles, which takes place like a little before War of the Worlds, he was 35. Just
1: I suppose that's had, relatively normal for Hollywood to have people who are older playing. I just think that Orson, Orson Welles had this
0: gravity to him that he was, I'm Orson Welles. That even though he was 23 and kind of baby faced, yeah. he was still Orson Welles. Even though I think they're sort of taking his lifetime of accomplishments or at least the next... 10, 15 years worth of his accomplishments and just sort of shoving them into this young man when he's being portrayed in the movies I just mentioned. Yeah. Like, I know he was like a young prodigy. It was no longer like prodigy age. Now he was a man. A man? Yeah. Of the theater, you know, making his marks with various interesting productions, including like like all black production of Macbeth, just for example. Or everything that they yeah, get into he in did a right credible rock.
1: Is, didn't he do that right before War of the Worlds? I believe so. Yeah. So he already had a reputation for being kind of like a shaker-upper.
0: Yeah. That's why his name was out there. So when they're like, Orson Welles fools America, it wasn't like, who? Yeah. Uh, he was also the voice of the Shadow. He was making money in the radio.
1: I was so excited to read that. Because as yeah. you know, I listen to a lot of old-time radio, and I've, the Shadow knows. Right. I didn't know that. And that's really fun.
0: The program you're about to see is a recreation of the War of the Worlds panic broadcast of 1938. It is based on fact. All interruptions for news bulletins are simulated. And certain names, characters, and incidents are changed in the interests of dramatization.
1: I do want to say one thing before we move further, which is to explain what the night that panicked america what that movie is about yeah so made for tv movie but it's a really fun examination of the hubbub surrounding the broadcast not only behind the scenes with the people producing it performing in it writing it but also people who would in a few short hours be listening to it so they, they kind of take you on a journey you see like a kind of slice of life americana there's a mother and a father and the dad's about to leave and there's the kids and then they get caught up listening to the program there's a father and a son and and
0: right now we're talking about like fictionalized Fictionalized. based on real people who actually did panic because of the war of the Worlds broadcast
1: but that's how this movie approaches telling this story is behind the scenes of the broadcast and then also how it affected these characters yeah Which is so fun! Some
0: highlights are, like, there's a butler and a maid.
1: Oh, so funny. For
0: this, like, rich, Richie party.
1: In San Francisco.
0: Yes, and the person they work for is, like, a Nazi sympathizer. You know, it's like, what are we going to do about this Hitler? Well, I say if he can make our trains run on time, maybe he's not so bad. his
1: daughter's like, say what you want about Hitler, but, I mean, he's cracking the whip or whatever. And you're like, oh, these people. Yeah,
0: so once they start believing that there's an actual Martian invasion, the maid's like, should we tell them? And the butler's like... Not yet. <laughs> and he just lets them panic around yes. him.
1: The stupid old rich Nazi sympathizer dude is like pulling his paintings off the walls yeah. and like running around, scrambling like an animal.
0: And he starts like sending his own words back to him, but like maybe the Martians will make the trains run on time. Ha <laughs> ha.
1: Yes. And that's funny, but what I like about, in particular, the storyline about the John Ritter storyline...
0: The, the Jewish farmer boy.
1: Yeah, he's a farmer boy. He, he wants he's, to go and fight. He wants to go fight. His dad is not supportive of that. And through the... Course of the movie and listening to the show, and you know John Ritter catches on before his dad does. But they're like on their way to go find. They live in outside in you know Grover's Mill, where the apparently the Martians have landed. And the dad's got his shotgun, and he's like, "We got to go defend our country." And basically, they come to an understanding that the broadcast forces an like, understanding where John Ritter's like, "If it wasn't
0: Martians and it was Germans, exactly, and you're reacting this way." This is how I feel.
1: And he's like, Don't you see why I have to go do this? And this is why I say this movie's great because there's a lot of care taken to show the effect, you know, that this could have on people. They
0: sure. You know, and they're
1: telling a story.
0: Not now for real life, the Germans were a big part of the fear because people were kind of used to and now breaking news. People coming in and being like, Talks are falling apart in Munich and they're annexing Poland. Bah! Yeah. So you're listening to uh, Amos and Andy, and it's like, and i breaking news!
1: I feel like it's not unlike you know? today, in certain senses, that I feel like a lot of the news that flashes across our news feeds, we're all kind of on high alert, kind of all the time. We're concerned something bad's going to happen.
0: I, I know. I'm, I'm going over my data, like, every month, ever since the election. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And
0: I feel like a guy who's watching The Wing of the Plane... Because if he doesn't, it's going to fall off.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: we'll lend a little understanding to those uh, people in
1: 1938. But the point
0: is, they were primed to believe
1: something like this. Beyond maybe logically, they shouldn't have necessarily, but emotionally, it wasn't that far of a stretch.
0: At this time, martial
1: law prevails throughout New Jersey. And- hey, Orville, well, it is a radio program, ain't it?
0: it Marshall- ain't no radio show. Yeah, now shut up, will you? Now, there's a couple of things that would have made it a hoax that I was looking at. They started by saying, like, now a dramatization by H.G. Wells. Okay, and then there's narration, and then they get into, like, meanwhile, people are listening to the radio, and everything after that for the next... Half hour is all just like radio broadcasts. The narrative picks up after they do like another station identification. Well after people have panicked. Mm-hmm. Their biggest competition was the
1: A ventriloquist?
0: Oh, I, I see what you're, I read? for the first time hearing about uh Charlie McCarthy.
1: Well yes.
0: Edgar Bergen. Sorry, I was
1: not familiar, but I just also think it's funny that it's radio. You can't see the person throwing their voice. But I'm just like when I read that, I was like I'm sorry, let me get this straight. They're listening to a ventriloquist on the radio.
0: He's a ventriloquist on the radio. How do you know he's not moving his lips? Okay, Leave me alone. <laughs> so McCarthy would come out and just kick ass for like the first 12 minutes, and then a musical guest would start. And if the musical guest wasn't that great, people had a tendency to flip around and tune into other stations. So that 12-minute mark was sort of like, if we get listeners to stick with us that's when they're going to come on board if we mm-hmm. can pull some people over from bergen that's when we're going to do it
1: but i can see the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor at least not the meteors i've seen it looks more like a huge cylinder
0: the 12 minute mark of the broadcast was when they were at the site in grover mills so they were already like tango music that's just in <laughs> tango music now we're talking to this professor Tango music, here we are, Grover's Mill. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a cylinder. And the recent events that also sort of helped affect this is the Hindenburg crash. And specifically, it's been noted and dramatized in The Night of Panicked America. Uh, The guy who was doing that announcing...
1: In air quotes, on-site reporting. The
0: on-site reporting would listen to the Hindenburg uh, broadcast over and over. Disturbing as hell. Yes.
1: The audio of that is so disturbing. Just hearing people screaming.
0: Yeah, and that wasn't that long ago. Right. So they were sort of like replicating that. And then something that did not happen in the Hindenburg broadcast, which is a device. I'd like to give this credit for it. And I don't know of anything earlier that did it. But this great device, it's still used to great effect, which is he gets cut off. Yeah. His transmitter just dies. It ends mid-word. And then it's like, oh, folks, we're experiencing some technical difficulty. Here's a little music.
1: I mean, it's incredible. I um, think that was what was so fun about watching this TV movie is seeing like the actors sort of like, you know, there's one where the two are having a conversation. They back away from the mic and they're like, yes, oh. backing to away make from, it from the sound, microphone, you know, to make it sound like they're there. A
0: little bit of overlapping dialogue and repeating yourself because like in a polished script, you won't repeat yourself You right. get it right the first time. Yeah. But there's people like sort of saying things twice, and that, that just makes it feel like really there's a the sheriff real. or
1: somebody, some person who who's like I think it was an authority figure. But you watch him go. They're like, we're gonna have the sheriff come in and tell you, or one of maybe leader of the state militia yeah. or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm I'm doing this for audio effect. He's like, oh, over here, right here. <clears throat> okay.
0: You hear I mean, him find the microphone this, exactly. It's and this is
1: acting. Radio's version you know, but... of like
0: a shaky camera.
1: Yes. Right Yes, which when you think about it being nineteen thirty eight it's mind blowing if you're really thinking about that, you know i yeah mean,
0: no and and if if you were to be watching the news and all of a sudden it just cuts off <gasps> if it's like something dramatic
1: and you've never seen anything like that happen before,
0: yeah, just for it as a device to be used in aliens when they've all got those side mounted cameras, mm-hmm. but then one at a time they start like oh. like, like going off the air, and any time that's used where like someone's like on the radio and they're like. I'm not sure. I think it's like, and you're just like, oh no.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you, you get to see in this TV movie, Orson Welles standing there. directly And everyone's people. just looking at him and he's holding Because everything has to stop. And it's an interminable silence. And you know, people listening are like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And the longer he holds it, the more tension is building and it's so genius. There's gas heading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. We
1: haven't said that the War of the Worlds broadcast aired October 30th, 1938. I don't think we said that. Yes, Halloween it is Eve. often
0: called a Halloween broadcast. It was, in fact, what's often called Mischief Night. Okay, so I feel that when they came in at that 12-minute mark, that was when they were giving it their big guns as far as, like, a dramatic hook. I don't believe that they were... Saying, like, people are going to think this is a real broadcast, and then we're going to have them for, like, an hour. I think it was more just, like, this is more just about ratings. It's not about, like, tricking people and getting headlines. The second part where I thought, well, it could have been a hoax because he comes on at the end and apologizes. This
1: is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character, to assure you that the war of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo.
0: Okay, so I thought it was like, well, if he's coming in saying, like, sorry for the hoax, I guess maybe it was a hoax. But I've come to learn that was copy that was written once, like, calls started coming in to the broadcast station. And then, like, the uppers were saying, like, you got to do a station identification. And they're like, well, we will in 10 minutes when it doesn't matter anymore. Right. Because they switched it to just a more straightforward radio play narrative after that point. Sure. Because they do come in and go, "This has been Mercury Theater on the air doing all of the world."
1: Right. But meanwhile, when it counts, put down and the are Literally screaming. I mean, the uh, performers. Oh, the performers. You know, yes. In the middle of you know.
0: So because that ending was written kind of on the moment, once they realize they could be in some uh, deep trouble here <laughs> if they don't say something, <laughs> I now less believe it was an actual hoax. Yeah. But. People still believed it. You put a big bucket on your head and took off with them army boys to fight Martians. Ain't you dead yet? (laughs) A lot has been said about the press exaggerating it. Mm -hmm. Women had miscarriages and people committed suicide. Right. No one committed suicide. Right. That's out. Yeah. Newspapers were in competition with the radio.
1: I was reading that today. It, It
0: could come out faster you know, you, you got like extra, extra that an extra is just that. Yep. It's an extra bit of news that had to be printed separately. And that's not a fast process. But you can just run on the air and be like, this just in Pearl Harbor.
1: So they're trying to discredit the radio as a reputable news source because it's killing their business.
0: I'm trying to put them in check. Yeah. Yeah. So the big stories about the effects of War of the Worlds on the public got really amped up. By a competing medium.
1: And they ran stories for a week or two, didn't they? I mean, they went for a while. They went on for a while.
0: He was so frightened by the reports of interplanetary
1: invasion that he ran off, leaving Ant B to contend with the slimy green monsters
0: he expected to drop from the sky at any moment.
1: So the numbers are disputed as far as how it's many people were actually six listening. Six million heard.
0: Right. 1.2 million actually believed it. But among them, how many just believed it for a little bit and then went, Oh, uh, yeah. okay.
1: Right.
0: Like anything else you see that's at first like, what, what? Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah. But so there was more panic concentrated in New Jersey where it was actually supposed to be sure. taking place. That's where the water tower got shot. It was in, in New Jersey. <laughs> I mean,
1: if you really think it's in your back door, it's one thing to be concerned and be in San Francisco, but to be in New Jersey and know where Grover's Mill is. They're naming
0: towns. They're naming roots.
1: And you can't just hop on Facebook and say, hey, guys, is everything okay?
0: Exactly. You can't
1: just reach out to your Twitter gang and be like, hey, tweeps." Not everyone Uh, had phones. Everything copacetic over in Grover's Mill. That's not how the world worked in 1938.
0: More people had radios than they had cars. More people had radios than they had phones or even plumbing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because of the Great Depression, so many people had gotten rid of so many appliances, but almost everyone still had a radio.
0: And remember, even if you couldn't read... You still got, then you got your news from the radio. So, yeah. like, illiterate people. Yeah. Listening to the radio, trusting the radio, and then taking to the streets for fear of Martians. There was a story of a woman was about to drink poison.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, and her husband stopped she, her. her.
1: She had written some note that said, if I'm going to die, I'd rather do it this way than whatever yeah. that will be.
0: Someone like wrecked a wedding. And I I think I read, like, someone came to the wedding and there was like, the Martians are attacking. So, like, the husband just started reading, like, religious verses. But then the wife just started dancing the Charleston for, like, 15 minutes straight.
1: Oh, my God.
0: She was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out like this.
1: I read about a man who confessed to an affair to his wife.
0: Wow. Whoops. I I, I hadn't uh, read that one. Uh, We've been invaded by a pompous radio ham. How does it feel when the hoax is on the other foot? I must admit, it's unpleasant. <laughs> Meanwhile, Wells gets taken to task the next day, and he looks so contrite.
1: Yeah, well, people that, have um, they
0: well, say like it's his greatest performance ever.
1: Right, people have likened that image of him as like saintly.
0: Everyone around him is wearing dark suits, <laughs> and he's in the middle in this like white suit, like this and holy he's like, figure. he's kind of unshaven, which makes him look more young. Might than, than I here, add, this is
1: Halloween. This press conference happened. Yeah,
0: Halloween Day. Also, he could be in... It turns out that he had a radio contract where it puts all blame for problems caused by the show onto CBS. So CBS handled everything. Yeah. But was that all a performance? Him being like, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. I'm Orson Welles. I think part of it was, but part of it, he was in some pretty deep trouble there. Enough to make a guy scared. Yeah. Because he looks scared. Yeah. You must realize that I, when I left the broadcast last night, I went into a dress rehearsal for a play that's opening in two days, and I've had almost no sleep, and I I know less about this than you do. So, when looking at the whole, you know, he goes on the air, he says Martians are attacking, people believe him, he's got to apologize to the nation, it's considered a big hoax. I feel that he was paying more attention to his play that particular week. You know, there was a new show every week. Mm-hmm. And rather than figuring out how to fool the nation, he was more concentrating on his play and left a lot of stuff just up to other people.
1: Are you talking about the other play he was working on or?
0: Yeah, as opposed to a radio play. There was a theatrical yeah. play. Yeah, okay, yes. The Merc- well, you
1: hadn't said that. I'm, just oh, I'm sorry, for, yeah. For the people listening.
0: Yeah. So yeah, he the was. The Mercury he... Theater was, was his number one interest. Right. And the Mercury Theater on the air was like a side thing that yes. he did. so
1: he was directing a play at the time yes. that was in rehearsals. And so he, And yeah. in
0: a bit of trouble.
1: Did we mention Bernard Herrmann directed he did, he the he orchestra? He did the music. He did the music. And if you're listening and don't, if that sounds familiar, a bit psycho, among many mm-hmm. other things. But I love that connection.
0: That night, CBS had to put out hourly disclaimers that the War of the Worlds that they had played earlier was fictional. <laughs> and they had planned a broadcast at midnight on Halloween which would feature ghosts. It was promptly canceled. Wow. Yeah. They were
1: like you guys have been through enough.
0: We're done. We're done scaring people. Wow. See you I next Halloween. Did
1: not know that.
0: So, speaking of Halloween shows that feature g- g- ghosts. G- 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 ghosts. Let's bring up BBC's Ghost Watch.
1: Now, on BBC One, Screen One presents an unusual and sometimes disturbing film marking Halloween. Over the centuries, there have been countless reports of ghosts and ghouls, but the line between fact and fiction has always been unclear. Using the modern idiom of the outside broadcast, Michael Parkinson, Sarah Green, Mike Smith and Craig Charles star
0: in Ghost Watch.
1: Ghost Watch? aired October 31st, 1992, at I Actual think, Halloween 8 p.m., 9 p.m.?
0: It was a weird time. It was like 9.25 or something. Right.
1: Well, which I did learn was after the watershed, which, which was 9 p.m., which means essentially just a point beyond which they were allowed to show more mature content. Sure. So that became important when a lot of people got very outraged at this program Because a lot of people were like, my child was traumatized. And they were like, why was your child watching television after the watershed?
0: Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Just real quick. So this was a show that much like War of the Worlds, people actually panicked over. It was presented as a news program, but not like the nightly news. It wasn't like, but now the 11 o'clock news, ghosts. It was considered a special Mm -hmm. in line with other specials that they had already done. One was called Crime Watch. I know that. And then some other watch. And now there was Ghostwatch. Yes. And I think it was considered a bit of fluff. I don't think we have an exact correlation for it in America. The special when Geraldo opened Al Capone's vault. Sure. I think feels kind of similar because it was like... A and this,
1: special event.
0: Yeah, it's a special event. You got like an expert, but then you've also got like, on the scene, we're here, sure. you know, live... And, and you're, you're going to watch it live.
1: importantly, Geraldo, who you know who he is, right? And Ghost Watch featured okay, that's multiple thing. faces that people watching felt like they knew very well, people who they'd seen on the news every day.
0: As much as War of the Worlds had broadcasters sounding like real broadcasters, no one stopped to say, like, I've never actually heard of this guy, mm-hmm. and I listen to the radio all the time. But it was enough to be on the radio. Fast forward to 1992, if you're going to fool someone, you got to bring out actual people who bring you the news and so i don't suppose you've got any of their names
1: uh michael parkinson sarah green those are the ones i can think of off the top okay, of my head okay
0: so michael parkinson was the older mm-hmm. he brought the gravity if you're gonna believe that this is a real thing he's like very he's the skeptic dignified he's the skeptic just in his own career i think he'd been like bringing the news to the good people of england for right. probably a few decades right and now he's like uh now we have an expert here and we're gonna go live And we have a phone bank, so if anybody wants to call and tell us some ghost stories of their own, so it was even that like sort of like buttoned-up guy having a little fun because it's ghosts and it's Uh Halloween. Uh, We've got what was the name of the woman? Sarah. We got Sarah at the haunted house right now.
1: Sure. So the basic setup of this, which was filmed weeks prior to them Mm -hmm. airing it, but it was was presented as as being live. live. Yeah. The basic premise is that there is this house with this woman and her two daughters and the house is haunted presumably. And they go back and forth between the studio where Michael Parkinson is. He's got a ghost expert with him. And then they cut back and forth between the studio and then at the house where they've got a reporter on the ground and a couple of other people, but essentially the main one, Sarah, she goes in the house. She gets to know the family. She's hanging out with them and she goes through some crazy stuff.
0: It's sort of a slow burn.
1: It really of crazy is. Stuff. And it's so effective. And
0: they can be like, what's going on here? Oh, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you get get a couple of those mm-hmm. until it's actually like something.
1: Yeah. You relax into it. You're like, and everyone's having a bit of fun. And Michael Parkinson is like, nothing happening yet. You know, he, he's doing a very good job of playing the skeptic. Yeah. He doesn't really buy into all this hooey.
0: I think as a production, it owes a little bit to Poltergeist because there's no like, nuns or priests or, like, any of that. There's no psychics. Mm -hmm. No one's like, I feel vibrations. There's none of that. But what there are is, like, scientists Mm -hmm. with scientific equipment, the infrared camera, which is now used in every, like, ghost haunting shows they're running around.
1: And they set up, they show you, explain all this equipment that they're going to be using. It's
0: all science, which is like poltergeist, at least the first half of it. Sure. And... In a country that has no shortage of, like, 200-year-old, 300-year-old dwellings, this looked like a relatively new, it was considered a a council housing, which I believe was, like, a post-war thing where, like, the housing council will assign you to a house, which, unlike America, can help you say, like, why don't you just move? That's always the first thing you say. Like, you got a haunted house, you move. Get out of the house. Right. I mean, she's like, I've written to the council. They think that we're just faking it. So there's like an actual cultural government reason for them to remain where they're remaining. Yes. Which makes it all the more real.
1: Mm -hmm. It's also loosely based on the Enfield haunting, Oh, by the way, just as an aside, which is a famous case. The Conjuring 2 is kind of loosely based on as well, just by the way.
0: Tonight, television is going ghost hunting in an unprecedented scientific experiment where I hope to show you, for the first time, irrefutable proof that ghosts Really do exist. Paranormal Activity takes a lot from Ghost Watch, and uh, did you watch the TED Talk mm-hmm, from the guy? I did. He says that the Paranormal Activity creators uh, credit Ghostwatch. Yeah. yeah. And no kidding. Yeah. Because there's a lot of influence there on the totally. screen, including member of uh, Paranormal Activity Part 3 mm-hmm. It's the two little girls. Yes. And if remember the like the little Heidi hole that was in the uh, in oh, the bedroom, the,
1: the glory the glory well, hole.
0: In England, it's the glory hole, but like in the children's bedroom, there was like this little closet. Yeah. Which over and over in Ghost Watch, they're like, oh, used to be a dark room for photos. Uh, I call it the glory hole. The
1: glory hole.
0: And and the only thing about it
1: that is so distracting the whole time, they're like, we'll we'll go back to the glory hole. And you're just watching it like, oh, Jesus. It's like, they're not going to stop saying it.
0: There's certain words between American and British (laughs) colloquialisms that don't. Really translate. Like, and that's, don't go over that's there talking them,
1: about your fanny. Right? That's not doesn't mean what you think it don't means.
0: Don't come over here. Point out gory holes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little unexpected yeah. comedy. I'm sorry.
1: Children, come on. No, Sarah, Sarah, stay where you are, please. Sarah, stay there, please. Don't go upstairs. Why? Because we hear that Suzanne's got out of bed, but
0: she's not yet stay appeared. Here, I don't know she's, why. Not, she's not appeared on the landing. So it's more believable because it's not like old and creaky and like down here is where the servants lived a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. It's comparatively new but old enough to still have a history.
1: Well, in fact, Bite Back, which was this show Mm -hmm. where they would bring on audience members to, like, address people who had made programming that made them angry for some reason, and they did an episode on Ghostwatch. It
0: was like a giant comment section.
1: Exactly. A live, in-studio comment section. But there's a woman who articulates the very thing you're talking about who says that while she's watching it, she knew it was fake, and she watched it with her kid, but she was still being critical of them and saying... That setting it against the background of the suburbs made it extremely sinister. She was saying okay. that, that their choice to set it in such a, an idyllic kind of commonplace, like a, we all know. A, this a place.
0: place more like where most of your viewers are probably in at the time. Yeah. And okay, one of the concepts of this is that they have like that phone bank where at first they're like, Call in if you've got a ghost story. So you know, please liven us up when nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You know, at least we'll get some ghost stories. Sure. But what it turns into is people calling in, first reporting things they're seeing. Like, did you guys notice that it looked like a man that was standing there staring at them? Oh, God. And they go back and they watch the footage and there's no man there. And they're like, well, thank you. But then everyone <laughs> keeps calling in. It's like the same description of the, like the same man, and like even like down to what he's wearing. That's creepy. <laughs> but then the calls start coming in that strange things are happening at their homes. They're like
1: My coffee table just burst into a million pieces. Yeah, and
0: at first sounds like a joke and it was like, Yeah, well, you know, this plate was sitting on the side of a sofa and it just flew into the air and they're like, Thanks a lot, buddy, click. Yeah. But then it like keeps happening. So if you're at home watching this and you think it's real or might be real. Oh God. Right.
1: You're looking around you like God forbid like, a picture I, I'm, falls I'm no off longer the wall scared the for moment. them. I'm yeah. scared for me. Yes. It feels personal. So
0: okay. that doesn't really translate when you're just watching it 20 years later, yeah. you know, on a DVD or what have you. But man, to put yourself in the mindset of the people at that time. Now, to watch it just as a piece of horror, separating yourself from the idea that it would ever be live or real or anything, it is still creepy and scary. It's incredibly and
1: creepy. You
0: and I were stopping it several times because, okay, so there's this ghost whose nickname is Pipes.
1: Because of the clanging, Makes so it the daughter tells a story that, or maybe the mom does. She's like, yeah. when the girls were hearing the sounds, they're asking me, "Mummy, mummy, what is that?" It's just and the pipes. And I said, "It's just the pipes. It's the heating." And so they started calling him in a friendly way. They're like, "Oh, well, that's just pipes," which is right. for some reason a really creepy ghost name. Pipes, pipes. Pipes the ghost.
0: My gosh. Ooh. So you had to show me one shot like three times and you're like, look, it's pipes. I'm like, I don't see it. Look, it's pipes. I'm like, Nope. You re- re- rewound it a third time and you're like, look, it's pipes. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can see it now. It
1: is pipes.
0: Yeah. Other times they would just sort of be like panning through a room and he'd be there in a reflection or, yeah. and is.
1: The internet is really helpful because some of those appearances are pretty subtle, and if you were watching it once, you might catch it or you might not, or maybe your subconscious mind would, but thank God for the internet because they tell you, like, at this time stamp, you'll see pipes in this reflection of this window, and we were able to see all of them.
0: Imagine you're at home thinking it's real. Oh, God. And then you can't rewind it, like you had to rewind it for me. Yeah. It's just like, did you see it? I didn't see it.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, God.
0: But you and I, in addition to knowing it's fake, we don't know these newscasters, mm-hmm. you know, we never watch them, but still.
1: But they're very good. If I hadn't known they were just newscasters, I would have assumed they were just actors because all of them do a great job. Yes. Which is kind of shocking.
0: I get the feeling that all of them did a bit of a uh, amdram. Sure. Back in the day, or just like, well, I trod the bullets a bit in college. Yeah. I think I can do a bit for, you know, right, for right, you. Right, 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 right. Because they were all like, especially the woman, very well acting so as themselves believable. in yeah. peril. Yeah. And she gets, like, shut into the glory hole.
1: Oh, my God. And that's
0: the last you see of her.
1: Goodbye, Sarah Green. It's like they're, they're, you're there's dead. a banging.
0: She, there's a girl in there. She goes after the girl. The door slams behind her. And the end.
1: And you've seen, as they open the door, there's, like, and, and then it slams shut the first time. You see someone standing there.
0: Oh, the first time they open the door. Yeah. Yeah. So you
1: know, you know there's nothing good happening in the glory hole. No. First time.
0: <laughs> nothing good has happened in the glory hole. uh hello who am i talking to oh hello my name's uh, mary christopher and why why i'm ringing is she used to live in one of the old terraces in foxhill by the railway as it was then and is now foxhill drive and i'm just sure it's where those poor girls live now
1: i think one of the most sobering moments of it for me and one of the things that really drove it home to being super creepy is the one because as you said the phone calls kind of start off innocently enough and then as the show progresses there's that woman that calls in saying that someone she knew or somebody used to live right in that area and she knew about a woman who like buried babies in the yard like this awful awful story and she's like and i'm absolutely sure it was right there in that neighborhood and i think it was that house so you're learning like awful history about what happened on the grounds again poltergeist
0: as well there's a guy who we believe was pipes that the other guy calls in it was like died in that house and was like eaten by cats yes and a but, nice but then you think that like he was being affected by an even older ghost right so it's like this turducken ghost yes and no one ever sits down and says well, it was this, this, and this. Right. But you're given these possibilities that you just plug into what we're watching.
1: Yes, and you're just realizing that whatever thing is true or maybe it's all true, but at the end of the day, like, we're in a bad situation. Like, this house is a bad place. Right. And something's very wrong here. Suzanne's feeling a bit better now. We still don't know how the scratches got on her face. But we feel it's probably best to get the girls out of the house now.
0: Do you want to talk about its ending? Sure. Which would just send people over the edge. Up until, it's credits. It actually has credits. So, if you haven't run Screaming or changed the channel, yeah, there are closing credits that'll say, like, hey, everybody.
1: Thanks for joining us for the scripted program. Ascent. I mean, you know, you know. Written by, produced by, directed by.
0: Unless you just thought, like, well, someone in the booth must have just hit credits because even live shows have credits. Sure. So, maybe that still didn't help. But things in the studio just start getting like lights are exploding and the expert goes don't you see this broadcast has turned it into a giant seance and you can see pipes in the studio you could actually see like pipes before in the background of a shot Mm -hmm. that was one of those like sightings and Mm -hmm. you're like he's in the studio Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so that's the idea is that in watching you've become a part of
0: you get some of those yeah that sort of the war of the worlds just sort of like end transmission moments where it's just like Oh, it looks like we're experiencing technical difficulties, and you're like, oh, yes. Why did everything black out? And then you get so it, like the old skeptic is kind of wandering the studio, and like he, he doesn't know if any of the cameras are on or not, and can't find he's anybody. Yeah.
1: And maybe possessed. And then it's at the this end, awful voice starts coming out of his mouth. He's
0: doing like a children's rhyme, and <sighs> it's just like round and round the god, and you're like, oh!
1: it is so upsetting. It's so they like, so, so upsetting. They just go there. They're for, like, "Yeah, we're gonna make this as screwed up as we possibly can." For
0: two people watching it over twenty years after the fact, having no experience with this guy is like a he trusted mean news personality to us necessarily. So if you know Dan rather just started like speaking in tongue,
1: I cannot imagine we all lose
0: our minds. It's like the same thing.
1: Oh my god, it's so good! You can't believe they actually went I mean, there. It's
0: difficult to know, even if anybody still. To with us, but if they are, this is the, the scene in this in this studio, this totally deserted studio They had set up operators at the BBC dedicated for ghost watch calls
1: because they'd put an actual number up on the screen.
0: If anybody were to really call in and go like, "Is this really happening?" there were five employees of the BBC there to say, "No it's not really happening. It's all a dramatization. Thank you for watching the BBC. <laughs> Unfortunately, they got one number said 20.
1: I saw 30,000. I
0: think after the fact, 30,000 total Mm. complaints. But apparently, 20,000 tried to call in. Five people couldn't handle the calls. Most people couldn't even, it just rang and rang. Couldn't even get in. So the numbers, they say three women went into labor. (gasps) Petrified children. Mm. That was, I guess, the biggest complaint.
1: Yeah, I Um, can imagine why.
0: People feeling duped. And that's the betrayal of trust, which. I don't know all the ins and outs of British television in the 90s, but BBC is government-run, isn't it? Uh-huh. So that's all, like, God and country yeah. all wrapped up into your television. It's not like America where we have corporations who are trying to sell us something every minute, so they're entertaining us, but we can't put our faith in them completely right. ever. But this is, like, this is your government, and you trust them as much as you trust the government right? day to day. 92, they still only have, like, a small handful of channels.
1: Yeah.
0: But all the channels are BBC, right? There's, like, BBC One, BBC Two.
1: Sure.
0: So it's not like, this guy's fooling me, I'll go watch another station. This guy's Mm -hmm. fooling me, I'm going to call my local politician. It's all connected.
1: Yeah.
0: It's all this big umbrella. Right. It's
1: pulling a rug out from under you. It's pretty big.
0: That's something that, like, if you had gone 20 years before that into the 70s and 20 years before that in the 50s and on and on. The umbrella was even bigger and more important, but it was still in place, I believe, in the 1990s. Yeah. And then less now than it was then. So that level of betrayal, as opposed to like, it's the Columbia Broadcasting System fooled you, but that it's the BBC fooling you.
1: And it's not just some silly one-off Sight gag, April Fool's. This isn't... They did the April
0: Fool's spaghetti spaghetti harvest. Spaghetti harvest, (laughs) yeah. Awesome. Incredible. The last two weeks of March are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavor.
1: The spaghetti farmer hoax, that was in the 50s? I want to say. Yeah, it was an April Fool's joke, and apparently it was so successful because... Many people living in England, they just weren't that familiar with how pasta was made yet. It was such kind of a new thing, apparently. So the program, I guess, showed people picking spaghetti out of trees. Out of
0: trees. Like, here's where pasta comes from. Right.
1: And then people were calling into the station asking for recipes. Like, how do you grow spaghetti? Which is really cute and funny.
0: I guess that just goes in line with that level of trust.
1: Totally. That
0: they had in their uh, intertwined systems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, like, terrifying... EVP recordings, we didn't even talk about that. Like, the darkness, the level of darkness of Ghostwatch and, like, how creepy it gets is so different from some dumb April Fool's thing.
0: Hello, and welcome to Bite Back, the program in which you, the viewer, take the program makers to task. And there are hundreds of you who want to do exactly that following Halloween night, when the BBC pretended to investigate the supernatural in Ghostwatch. The switchboard was jammed with complaints, reports that children were terrified, pregnant women had gone into labor, and intelligent people felt duped
1: i do want to talk about the bite back program that i sent to you
0: yeah now compare those two people would like two producers mm-hmm. to like orson wells with his being like so contrite and surrounded by reporters at least they were reporters these are the like the actual people who felt slighted and abused just like...
1: Facing two producers of Ghost Watch in the studio for the television program.
0: Just hurling their displeasure at them.
1: Yeah. I think that that female producer got pretty defensive. And I was like, yeah, you yeah. go, girl. How like,
0: many times can you say the same thing? Like, well, we said many times it's not meant for children. And we actually said, if this is bothering you, to turn it off. And they're like, well, yeah, but you were using that as a way to make us more interested. And, right. And she's like, well, it's lose-lose.
1: One of the things that viewers in the studio confronted them with there was a guy who told a story about he came into the room and his 10 year old daughter she had been watching the program and she ran out of the room
0: and And, and threw up
1: threw up like just vomited in terror I'm like, that's pretty effective. That's a pretty effective story.
0: You saw it. You were taken in. What's your reaction? Yes, sir. Thank you. Firstly, I must just say, uh, the kind word is that it was actually, theoretically, a brilliant piece of television. That's the nice part out of the way. But I also think that you betrayed The trust that the audience has within the BBC, you toyed with the emotions of the audience because the audience weren't actually sure, or I wasn't, actually sure if it was fact or fiction, if it was live or if it was in fact a drama.
1: What's interesting about this program is all these people are so, so angry at the producers and scolding them for what they did and you can tell like they're being apologetic and explaining themselves and there is a little bit of a defensiveness but I feel like if you would gotten them alone like you walk them off that set they're they're probably like very proud of themselves for what (laughs) they did because obviously you're getting this big of a reaction it really affected people but it is incredible how vehemently angry people were at this program because I mean so many children just nightmares for weeks from this thing which, if I were a child and I'd watch that, oof.
0: I think I should remind you that I'm just a little boy and quite
1: susceptible to nightmares. So, I think a lot of people let their kids stay up a little later because I think that where some of the outrage came from is they're like, well, we said the reason we aired this after the watershed is because it wasn't suitable for children. But I think if a parent is making that choice to have their kids stay up, they're anticipating, perhaps, mm-hmm. violence, language, maybe sex but that's a known variable basically is what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and I think some of the, the extreme outrage comes from like this was unprecedented and this was like
0: it was untested horror
1: totally and really just nerve jangling and playing with the idea of reality and the idea of, of like a nationwide séance bringing a ghost into your home sitting right next to you on the couch breaking shit in your i mean it's i think beyond the pale in their mind but i think it brings up the interesting question of you know where is the line who determines that i mean i guess you know the fcc and
0: in, in america the bbc the
1: bbc yeah right exactly they determine it <laughs> and they've said it's okay Your daughter vomits in fear? That's fine.
0: For queen and country. Yeah. Mrs. Will ya? Make me tea. Make love to me. Put on the telly.
1: Marshall, I had mm. so much fun researching this episode of Boys of Ghouls*. Right. So much fun.
0: Something I'd like to say: I know we're like hoaxes, all two of them. <laughs> if there are other hoaxes out there that you'd like to uh, get out to us and
1: oh my god, let us know send about, them our way.
0: I mean, the world's full of hoaxes, mm-hmm. but I was specifically thinking of like TV, radio, movies, a communication-based hoax, photographs, even. I guess there's the old, uh, the fairies, uh, mm-hmm. also, also in England. Mm hmm. Loch Ness. Yep. But please let me know if, or if there's just something that you yourself, like, it wasn't supposed to be. Oh, God. It's an Amber Alert. Jeez. Your phone, too?
1: Nope.
0: Oh. It says here there's a, uh, a man who's been prowling Burbank.
1: All right. Stop that. And, uh, Marshall.
0: Says he might be in this area and he's got a, He's got a gun, no, and a and, and a bomb, <laughs> and a spring. Oh God! And you you know him by his flatulence, as he gets closer.
1: I should never have gotten you that noise machine. You genuinely scared me. <laughs> you really scared me with that man. When, probably when? Burbank nonsense. Oh. Not with the fart
0: noise. That's fine. Okay. Uh, so you say a job well done? Yeah. Sorry, folks. It was just a hoax.
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: All right. Sorry. Oh, uh, boy. Got you there, cat. <laughs> uh, it was a real Lamborghini alert, though. Um, yeah. You can look out for a uh, black Toyota Camry. Okay. If you're on the road. Uh, <laughs> that was fortuitous. Because I was thinking about doing that, and then I just kind of shelved it, and then this screeching amber alert. That's
1: a really disturbing sound. Came out. Gets your attention. I don't know why I didn't get it.
0: I was on an airplane once, and you you were allowed to get on Wi-Fi, and we were above Los Angeles on our approach. And then just from all around me. Was just like, vroom, oh, vroom, vroom. like this noise I'd never heard on an airplane before. I was like, "Is that the wing fall off sound?" Like,
1: <laughs> I've been looking at it; it had not <laughs> fallen off yet.
0: Oh no, uh, so That is the uh, there's a man on the wing. Alert! There's something on the wing. <laughs> right. Oh boy, that was a scary. That sounds seconds. like
1: it would have been really disturbing.
0: But, plus, like, just having internet on a plane being allowed was a relatively new thing. Sure.
1: Like,
0: I didn't know Amber Alerts went so far up. Right. Like, Who'd
1: thunk? Who'da
0: I guess thunk? they go to space and back and they just hit us on the way. Yeah. Anyways, levity aside. Yeah, please get in touch with us if there's some hoaxes more than just the two that we've managed to put on the air. The War of the Worlds, there's no shortage of recordings of it out there. Give it a listen, uh, I'd say, this Halloween. It's always fun. I know that there, a big deal was made out of it during the 50th anniversary. Mm. They came out with the War of the Worlds TV show. A while
1: yeah i read about that
0: kind of dark if i recall mm. and it was a big deal because there was going to be like a new world of the world's broadcast and i listened to it i was like excited to listen to it so i was listening to it and it was like welcome to this radio program we're gonna play you a piece of music recorded 50 years ago then they come in with something and they're like and now another piece of music recorded 50 years ago <laughs> and i was like i see what you're doing here i'm done you're being too big of a slave to the gimmick I'm going to go watch Elf. Sure. But it it kept creeping up in in pop culture, in Spaced Invaders, or watching um, Buckaroo Banzai. It gets mentioned as, like, it ties in with the plot. But it took me a long time to actually get to the source, to the actual War of the Worlds broadcast. And once I did, it blew my doors off. Yeah. And Ghostwatch was such an out-of-nowhere gift. Like, you just... All I had was the title and I knew it was a hoax because that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that I actually got to watch with Kat because normally we separate and then get back together and discuss what we found. But this time we actually like watched it together and Kat knowing the scary parts already I'm guessing was watching me watching it. Yeah. To see like what I was reacting to. Yeah. And what I was reacting to was quite a bit. Yeah. Because it's a scary little journey. Even if you're not It's original target audience of people who can be tricked or people who trust these newscasters or even know who these newscasters are. And you have the fact that everything's all 80s. There's that separation, no longer looks Mm -hmm. new. You know what? It makes it even more found footage. Sure. It's found. Yeah. If anybody made this today with just 80s haircuts, it would be just as scary.
1: Yeah, it's plenty effective almost 25 years later.
0: Yeah. So either of these. Check them out. Do yourself a favor. You made it to the end of this podcast. Why wouldn't you?
1: Yep. Uh, If you have those hoaxes in your back pocket from your local news station or whatever you know that we don't know, send them our way. You can email us boysandghouls at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you Google boys and ghouls, you'll find us all over the Internet.
0: Give our Facebook page a like.
1: Yeah, do that.
0: And then send us messages on the Facebook.
1: On the Facebook.
0: We're out there in the free portions of the internet, so come around and say hi. And can't. If you'd like oh,
1: to. and as always, watch, keep, what is
0: it? Keep watching the skies? Keep
1: watching the skies, and beware the moon.
0: Beware. Decay. Beware. ah.